and welcome to another episode of Top Class, the OECD's education podcast. My name is Henry and I work in the OECD Directorate for Education and Skills. Today we're going to be discussing the links between health and education, looking at how a student's physical and mental health can impact their learning and what schools should be doing to take these impacts into account. I'm very pleased to be joined by Dr. Uwe Pusa, Head of Sports Science at the University of Basel, and Tracy Burns, Senior Analyst here in the OECD's Directorate for Education and Skills. And Tracy actually is a returning contributor to the OECD podcast. She was featured on our first episode, so we're very grateful that she's come back. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with exercise. Um, Uwe, are children exercising more or less in schools than previous generations? Well, it's quite obvious that the lifestyle of kids has changed. When we look at their behavior nowadays, cell phones and other technical devices are more and more important for kids. And screen time and uh, time with devices like the cell phone and so on take time from physical activity. That is to say, we can really see that the physical activity time has decreased because uh, we don't need the body that much as in former times. Um, We are getting technically more active, but physically not active. That is to say, there is obviously a change in the lifestyle of kids. I don't want to complain about that, but we have to take that into consideration. This has an impact on education, and I think we will talk about that later. So in general, do you think current school approaches to sport and exercise is is correct? Does anything need changing now? I think there is much more potential in schools to implement physical activity, not only in increasing the physical education lessons, because that is mostly linked with uh, finances and so on. Well, it would be good, for example, in primary schools to have a daily physical activity or physical education lesson, But there are other ways to implement physical activity and physical education in the daily school life, in a so-called active school. Some countries are really attentive to this idea, and they recognize the potential for for education. The main question is, do we really only want to take the head of the kid to school, or do we also pay attention to the body? And I think we could pay more attention to the body of the kid. How would these active schools work? What's, what's different? Well, they have different components. For example, they implement physical activity in the daily school lessons. They uh, really look after a- active recess of the kids. For example, the construction of the schoolyard, the school architecture, and other things. They really look for projects in schools where physical activity is implemented and so on. They sometimes really look that the kids can walk or cycle to school in a safe way. They look for safe ways of uh, commuting and so on. So there are different parts. Some even give physical activity homework so that the kids exercise at home and in the next lesson they present what they have learned in juggling, for example. And this In juggling? For example. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is an easy way... For example, with my students in my seminars, I construct juggling material. With balloons, we fill it with rice. And I would say in two minutes, you have constructed such a ball. And with the kids, you could do the same. 
and in 10 minutes you have three juggling balls and they cost not, an euro, not a euro. And you could uh, exercise with the kids with these juggling boards and say, take them home and tomorrow you show what you have learned. Is that a kind of combining of sports and traditional lessons? Yeah, I mean, that could be a combination. But you could also do that in your physical ed education lesson and uh, construct them. You uh, dedicate 10 minutes to produce them. And then in the physical uh, education lesson, you practice juggling. And that is good for uh, the motor behavior of the kids. And you could implement things like that. There are numerous ideas and we should pay more attention to these ideas. What kind of impact does physical activity actually have on a student's overall education then? Well, I would say it is always linked to the way you teach physical education. On the one hand, physical education can be an excellent social learning field. But on the other hand, a child can experience that uh, physical education lessons are horrible for them because they are always the losers. They always are the last ones who arrive and so on. So it's about the pedagogy. The main thing in this respect is that you give them the feeling that they can do something. This feeling, I can do it. Hmm? Not that they have the feeling, I'm not capable of swimming. I'm not capable of doing a somersault or something. You have to teach them that they are capable to do it. You have to give them this feeling of, I can do it. And that increases self-efficacy. And that has a positive impact on the personality of the kid. It's the way you teach and it's the learning experience you offer to the kids. And this is linked to the outcomes. Diet obviously also plays a big role in a student's general health. A recent OECD working paper talks about how our rushed modern lifestyle has resulted in food preparation times at home becoming shorter and shorter, meaning that reliance on pre-prepared foods and, and other possibly even junk foods is increasing. Tracy, what's the problem with that for school kids? Well, there's a host of problems, actually, but I'll just name two just to be brief. The first is that actually taking part in preparing dinners or lunches with your family teaches you a lot about food. It teaches you how to prepare vegetables. It teaches you what to do when you, you know, have a full eggplant in your kitchen sink sort of thing. So there's a very practical element of actually knowing what to do when you have raw ingredients in your kitchen, which is not part of a lot of the upbringing of kids who rely mostly on prepackaged food. This is really a concern because there's a lot of sodium additives and other other sort of bad things in, the, in food, including sugars, and it's contributed to the rise of obesity rates, which we see all over, all over OECD countries, uh, particularly among children. And this is concerning in a number of ways. This rising obesity is linked to increasing rates in cardiovascular disease, and also type 2 diabetes. Um, it's difficult to sort of underline how concerning this is. Traditionally, these are diseases of adulthood, which we now see in kids as young as two years old. I guess it's easy to forget as well that health issues have a wider effect on the economy at large. Tracy, do you know of any of examples of direct links between the prevalence of a certain health issue and the performance of a country's economy? There's quite a bit of interesting research on this, actually. If we just take sleep deprivation, um, and you want to look at economic impact, it's usually measured in a loss in productivity or number of days away from work. The RAND Corporation did some research uh, in 2016 on five different countries and costed how much the effect of decreased productivity as a result of sleep deprivation, uh, the impact it had on five different countries. 
And what they found was that it was anywhere from 1.5 to 3% of the GDP of a country, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you take a country like Japan, which had 2.9% of its GDP estimated to be lost because of sleep deprivation, that translated to 138 billion US dollars per year. If you look at a bigger economy, the US, for example, the estimate was $411 billion a year that would be lost due to sleep deprivation. I guess as well, sleep deprivation, if we're talking about health issues, diet comes up a lot, physical activity comes a lot. I don't think I've ever heard people mentioning sleep deprivation as one of the major things affecting productivity. I think there's probably something to be said about a communications (laughs) campaign to make people aware that they might need to sleep a bit more. Um, One thing we haven't yet mentioned is mental health issues. In 2018, it's obviously a very complex time to be alive. For school kids, Tracy, what would you say is the current major risk factor for mental health? I think there are a number a number of different ones. I mean, one of the reasons it's so concerning is kids are reporting more and more that they're stressed, that they're anxious, that they're depressed, uh, and they report lower life satisfaction, which is concerning in and of itself, but it also is true that one in two adult mental health problems is identified or starts by the age of 14. So there's a number of reasons why we should be particularly attentive to mental health of, of younger children and of adolescents. On an individual level, uh, sleep deprivation, our old friend sleep deprivation, <laughs> is a risk factor. Uh, stressors, um, parental environment, the amount of employment of the parent, mother, father, education level, financial constraints, these things are all related to sort of the well-being and emotional health of their children. What observable effects does poor mental health have on a child's learning? Oh, well, I mean, you can look at it from any level you want. On a cognitive level, a lot of issues around poor concentration, inability to focus, difficulty retaining information, storing it, so it it can really impact the learning process. Um, But also, sort of poor social and emotional skills or anxiety and depression can also have an impact on their on their social well-being, on the friendships they form, on the collaborative work they do, on the connections they have to others, their relationships with their parents, with their teachers, their, their peers. It can have an immensely harmful effect if there's a serious mental health problem. And do you think schools are paying enough attention to that? I think more and more they are, yeah. I think there's been really a push to think more of the child, of the child in a more holistic way. So to really think not just as we already talked about, not just of the brain and now the physical body, but also the mental well-being and the emotional health of, of the students. So there is a much bigger push to looking at these elements. Um, there is, a, at the same time, though, we must acknowledge a big push within our education systems to really focus on improving achievement. And so the argument is, in my opinion, not so much a sort of either or, but to really make the argument that these things, stronger physical well-being, stronger emotional health, actually will lead to better student achievement. So that it's not at one is at the expense of the other, but that you would like all those pieces to come together for the child to do well. Physical and mental health are also, um, of course, linked. Uwe, how can exercise in particular impact a student's mental health? Well, I would say when we look at the schools today, or maybe we can look in general life, it's always a question of quantity. When there is too much, that is to say, too much sitting, too much the brain is addressed. When they just have to think the whole day, then it gets out of balance, you know. 
So it is also a question, how do you put a rhythm to the daily life of uh, the school kids? And so we always see that when we sit and listen to a speech for two hours, we are tired somehow. And when we continue to work like that, it is tiring for the kids. And when they can move, when they can be active just for a while and then come back, then they are refreshed. And we should uh, really take that into consideration. We need that variety. We need that balanced way of approaching the learning of the kid. We have time for just one more question. I mm -hmm. think this is uh, for both of you, really. I'll start with Uwe. Yeah. What actionable steps can schools take to promote better overall health among, among their students? Well, I think it is always a question to policymakers and to curriculum experts. What do they understand by learning? And when they say learning means empowerment, empowerment of kids, we must really think about what kind of power do we want to give them? Do we only want to address the head, the brain? Do we only want to empower the cognitive elements? Or do we also want to have an, a balanced empowerment? That is to say that we also look at emotional aspects, but that is my subject. Um, do we also look at the body? Because for me, not only the head of the kid comes to school, but the whole person. And we should also take into consideration that there is a body and we should take care of it. Tracy? Um, I would say that there's a number of, of key elements that have been demonstrated to have an impact on at least improving the emotional well-being of students. Um, one is teaching certain skills like coping skills mm -hmm. or self-regulation skills. Understanding how to solve problems can help deal with frustration and anxiety. Um, but even other things around uh, social and emotional learning. So there, you see an increasing push to teaching things like mindfulness or meditation mm -hmm. or elements which are an important part of, of emotional well-being and which actually can be taught as part of a curriculum um, and, and be something that's just seamlessly added into a lot of the programs that we see in school. Um, but then there's also a role for encouraging parents, raising awareness with the broader community, increasing outlets for volunteering outside of class and outside of after-school activities, which can engage children and adolescents and help build their self-esteem, help build connections to others, and also really help build trust if they have good experiences. So I think it's very much along the same lines um, of thinking of the child as, as, a, as a fully three-dimensional person, and that includes not just the brain, but also the body and emotional and the heart. One of the topics that actually brings the two pieces together is around bullying, um, which we haven't talked about. But thinking about the effect of bullying, both on the physical body but also on emotional well-being mm -hmm. of students, this is something that schools are paying more and more attention to, rightly so, uh, and really involving parents and other classmates in trying to address it and trying to understand the negative impacts that that's bullying, whether in face-to-face -face versions or cyberbullying, can have on the well-being of a child, not just on their emotional well-being, but on their physical growth and development and their learning, because it does have an impact. It can have a very serious impact on, on their learning outcomes and their well-being as a whole. Do you think if we addressed kind of some of the things Uwe was talking about, about the body and exercise, and diet, some of the things you were talking about, mental health, in your opinion, would that have any impact on bullying rates? 
I don't know if it's honestly, to be honest, I don't know if it's really about, you know, n having too much energy. I don't think bullying is necessarily about doing more exercise or reducing bullying will, will, will be about doing more exercise. I think it's a lot of it's about power and a lot of it is about understanding social relationships in amongst children and adolescents and particularly now with technology, how those things play out. Um, so what I see from the research is the importance of raising awareness that there's an actual policy to have zero tolerance, for example, that the expectation is very clear. Teachers feel they can intervene. The parents know they have to intervene. And also the classmates, because one of the biggest things is, is actually being able to stop it in its tracks. And that means that everybody has to take a stand on it. Okay, anything to add? Well, lots of politicians or school principals and so on, they think that we should use the time in school for academic subjects, mathematics and languages and so on, because they are important. Others, like physical activity or physical education, they are not so important. But as we have seen, uh, there is a link between physical activity and cognitive performance. Uh, research, meanwhile, shows that acute effects or long-lasting effects can have an impact on the learning of the child. For example, if we uh, implement physical activity in schools on the longer term, we can see that the working memory of the kids improve and their reaction time. Uh, these are parts of important aspects of uh, learning capabilities And so we should take into consideration that research reveals more and more that there is a positive impact of physical activity on the learning of the children. Well, unfortunately, it looks like we've run out of time, but I want to thank Uwe and Tracy very much for joining us. And thank you to everybody for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe and share the podcast. And don't forget to follow the OECD Education Twitter account, which can be found at OECD Edu Skills as well as our Education and Skills Today blog at educationtoday.blogspot.com. Thanks again, and until next time.